Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. With me again is my co-host, John Tidy from reaperblog.net. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Hello, everyone. Excellent. And this episode, we are talking about a topic that doesn't concern you. Uh, <laughs> that's not strictly true. It's, it's interesting, but... Um, this is the fact that the AES have just released a new set of guidelines for streaming loudness. It's called TD1008, Recommendations for Loudness of Internet Audio Streaming and On-Demand Distribution. And then I will skip ahead and read you the second paragraph, which says, This document is intended for use by distributors of internet audio streams and on-demand audio files. This document does not provide recommendations for content production. However, content creators and producers will find it essential to their work. And I'm starting with that because whenever these things get talked about, there's this huge misunderstanding where some people assume that because there are guidelines for streaming services like YouTube, Tidal and Spotify, they're guidelines for us. Because Spotify or whoever is distributing their audio and normalizing it to minus 14 LUFS, loudness units, uh, that's how we should master the audio. And that is not uh, the case. And I kind of made, wanted to make the point, you know, in the title, it says it's for distributors. And then in the second paragraph, it explains that it's for distributors and not for us. It's for YouTube music. It's for Spotify. Like, unless you're designing their systems, this is not for you. But you should still pay attention to it. Well, exactly. That's the, uh, you know, it's, it's not for us and we don't have to follow these guidelines. Um, so, you know, whatever numbers we start talking about and whatever kind of ideas are included in this document, and we'll, we'll get into it because there's some interesting stuff. Nobody listening to this needs to feel that they should have to comply in any way. You can master your music as loudly or as softly as you choose. There will still be consequences, and that's why it's interesting to understand this stuff, and I think important to understand this stuff these days. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of get it right up and front and center, because I've just been kind of talking about this, the new guidelines on social media just in the last week or two. And I've already had <laughs> so many kind of people jumping in and saying, but EDM needs to be at minus eight, or, you know, I always master everything at minus 10 or whatever. Um, and that's absolutely fine. You can carry on doing that. These guidelines are for the distribution of the audio. So having got that out of the way, John, have you read the TD-1008 document? I have not, because um, I know that it's not for me. But, you know, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been on my radar if I hadn't seen your posts on Facebook um, or your blog post. So uh, I've, been, I've gone through about half of the blog post. And yeah, I mean, it, it's good. It's good to have a standard for all these different distribution platforms. I think it's good for the user to understand where or how things are going to be played back uh, after they upload. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree. And that's, that's, that's why we're doing an episode on it. I guess a, a little bit of background information. This is actually the second um, document the AES have released. Um, the first one was TD, uh, which stands for Technical Document, TD 1004, um, and was released, I think, back in 2015. Um, and I was kind of part of the drafting process for that. It was much shorter uh, and the guidelines were simpler but less specific. Uh, 
Um, and I think kind of two things to say about it are, firstly, that most people ignored the guidelines. Um, I mean, the, the, the overall guideline was the AES recommended that streaming services should stream their audio at minus 18 LUFS. Um, and then they said, but you could go 2 dBs louder or 2 dBs quieter than that if you choose. And what happened is that some people said, okay, well, we'll go for the maximum of that and stream at minus 16. Um, and th the big players like YouTube, Spotify and Tidal didn't really pay any attention at all and carried on streaming at minus 14. <laughs> yeah. So on the one hand, that's discouraging because, you know, they were the people that the document was aimed at and it didn't seem to have a huge effect. But it's not strictly true that nothing at all happened. Uh, you know, since then, back then, different streaming services were using different methods to normalise their audio. They were using completely different levels. I think Spotify was minus 11 and YouTube was minus 13 maybe and iTunes was minus 16. Uh, some of them were using limiters, some of them weren't. Since then, we've seen a lot of standardization now. So most of the services now, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows, are using minus 14 LUFS. And Spotify recently stopped using their limiter. That was what our last episode was about. So things are already a lot more consistent and predictable. I was only loosely involved in the the kind of the drafting of this one. It, the, they've been working on it for, I think, almost two years at this point. Um, meeting pretty much weekly to to hammer this out uh and it's it's a longer document to kind of reflect that and it's also got more detail in it and i think the those details are important because if the streaming services follow these guidelines and i hope that they do the normalization will actually get more effective we'll get closer to the artistic intent you know of, of us the people who are mixing and mastering the music and it will get easier to work with and we'll have less processing on the audio in order to achieve those results. So I do think they're a great set of recommendations and I really hope the streaming services follow them this time. And I'm more hopeful because they were actually, a lot of them involved directly in the the drafting process of the document. So I think last time, you know, this was kind of done in a bit of a bubble and released into the world and some people noticed it and other people didn't. Um, this time, I think there's a lot more attention on it. So it'll be interesting to to see what happens. I mean, John, obviously you were saying that you had kind of picked up on this because of my blog post. Were you aware of the previous set of regulations? Did you know what they were? Um, as I say, regulations, they're, they're recommendations. I, d I don't think so. I don't really pay attention to what the AAS does. Um, I mean, I, I like that this stuff exists and it is a good goal, I think, to have a very standardized playback level. But every platform is not going to use it because it's not a, like a law or regulation or anything like that. It's it's just an expert recommendation. And it's like, I guess it's peer reviewed and everything. And there's collaboration with, with some of the major players. But it yeah, it's not a law. So it's it'll still be interesting to see if companies choose to just do their own thing <laughs> when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I... I think that's fair comment. Um, I mean, a couple of kind of interesting things to, to pull out of that is right now this is a recommendation, but the AES also produce standards, which, as you say, are not a law, but I think they are taken even more seriously in the industry. Um, and I think there is um, a hope that 
if these recommendations are well received, then they will move on to become a standard. And I guess maybe we should sort of pause briefly and just, you know, talk about why you would want a set of guidelines uh, for this. And and basically, there's there are three reasons. I mean, one is you're going to get if everybody follows a recommendation or a standard, you'll have more consistency. So it was worse years ago where literally all of the streaming services were using different levels. So if you just move from listening to YouTube to listening to Spotify to listening to Apple Music, you would have to either put up with a change in overall loudness or move your volume control between them. That's not kind of the end of the world, um, but it's definitely preferable, I think, to have consistency. You know, I, I know that switching between channels on TV is annoying. And actually, I've had people in Mexico emailing me saying it drives them crazy because apparently the, there isn't much regulation and literally you can have some stations that are way, way louder than, than the others. So, you know, without this kind of standardization, you get a situation that's pretty annoying for everybody. Is this also covering the, in a shuffled playlist, this is normalizing everything. So not just jumping between different platforms, it's it's all songs on the, the platform are at a consistent level. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I just wanted to clarify that. Well, that's correct. But we, we can come back to that in a little bit more detail, actually, because um, you, you're right about that. The other thing that I that these recommendations would outline is that um, the methods to achieve that standard are outlined. So you can, you know, how are they going to control the peaks, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so you know you you want consistency between the different services. You want consistency in the material that is on any particular platform. You know because I mean the reason that all of this happened is not because streaming services want to hate loud music or um, that they you know even care particularly about the loudness wars or any of those things that we we talk about often on this show. It, it's basically that their users get annoyed if they're suddenly blasted by a super loud song or if they've been listening to something loud and then the next song is way, way quieter. You know, that just bugs people. So they want to fix that, basically. And the, the solution that they have implemented is loudness normalization, which is evening out, at the very least, turning the loudest stuff down and some of them turn quiet stuff up. So yeah, if people follow the recommendations, both of those things happen. And when both of those things happen, it means you can use less processing. It's kind of fairly easy to explain why. If you think if you have a high distribution loudness on a particular service, so for example, when Spotify was up at minus 11, that works fine for stuff that is louder than minus 11, which is quite a lot of pop and rock music these days. You just turn it down. That's fine. That's There's no extra processing involved with that. It's just a, a volume change. But if anything that's lower than that, if they want to bring that up, then you have to, or potentially you have to add extra limiting. That's what Spotify used to do. And their limiter didn't sound that great. By reducing their level down to minus 14, they increase the effectiveness of the normalization, especially for quieter material. So louder stuff gets turned down more, but that it's just a, a straight volume control change. So, you know, there's there's no effect on the quality of the audio when you do that. Um, and quieter stuff can be brought up more without extra limiting. So again, if this recommendation is followed, um, we can talk about what the actual numbers are in a minute, but they're kind of, it's kind of not important. You know, the well, all right, there's an interesting thing here. Broadcast, as we probably know, uses um, an LUFS level of minus 23. And rather than normalizing, meaning 
them turning things up and down to get this consistency, they actually require people to submit stuff at minus 23. If you mix a TV show in the UK or the US, certainly, and most of Europe as well and other parts of the world, if you submit that and it doesn't measure minus 23 LUFS overall, it'll get sent back. So that's one way to achieve this. Streaming services are doing the opposite because I think they understand that you know, musicians and artists and mastering engineers don't like being told you should make your music this loud. So instead of telling them to what to do, they adjust the levels afterwards. The simplest thing for the AES to recommend would be minus 23, which is the same as the broadcast standards. Um, the problem with that is here in Europe, there are regulations controlling the maximum amount of output gain on devices, so phones and MP3 players and stuff. Um, if minus 23 was used as the distribution loudness for anything on a streaming service, there would be uh, problems with some some devices, in especially in noisy environments, where you wouldn't be able to crank up the volume loud enough to, to for it to sound loud enough for you to hear it clearly and for it to sound good. And that was a big topic of conversation in the, the setting up of the, the recommendations. And actually, the document itself says that it's, they call it an evolutionary process. You know, ultimately, the goal is hopefully to get consistency with broadcast as well. And by using minus 23, you have a super flexible, you can basically normalize anything without any extra limiting or processing being required. But right now, they have to choose a higher distribution loudness recommendation whilst that um, regulation exists in Europe. Now, the regulations are going to be updated. So in future, devices will be allowed to have more output gain. And at the point where, you know, enough people own enough devices where that's the case, then there's you're in the situation where you can use a, a lower level and have even more effective normalization. But right now, um, the recommendation is, well, it would, again, we'll talk about the numbers in a second. But um, yeah, I just thought it was worth explaining, you know, the overall number doesn't really make any difference. It's just, this is the, the kind of the reference. And then we can adjust our listening level as much as we like afterwards. But there is this kind of practical limitation in terms of what the players um, can do. I, th I think you had a question. I was going to ask you if you thought that the minus 23 standard for, um, for like film broadcast is that a good level? Because it seems extremely quiet to me often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th I think, um, I mean, it is, except that when you think that um, the input to this is 24-bit audio uh -huh. and the signal-to-noise ratio of 24-bit is, I think, 124 dB, something like that. Right. Um, you know, you've still got 100 dB below that to use for for even quieter stuff. Right. Um, I mean, I think the reason it was chosen is that it relates back to the the Dolby levels that were used in cinemas. Yeah. Um, and obviously in cinemas, you have their big sound systems, they're calibrated, um, and a feature film is much more dynamic. Certainly the most pop or rock music. You know, you uh, film music is all normalised around the dialogue level. So you they, they start from the dialogue and they say, how loud should this be so that everybody can hear what's being said in the theatres? And then you need enough uh, room above that, enough headroom to have the sound of an explosion or a bomb going off or, you know, whatever it is, machine gun fire, all of those things that are in some of the movies that we watch. Yeah. So I think my answer is yes, it's it's a sensible, it's, it's a great choice for film, and, and drama and things 
in comparison for music, you know, it feels a bit low, but but it doesn't really matter, provided you've got enough gain afterwards, you know, because um, you can just turn it back up and it's, you're not going to lose any quality. It, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, the, as I say, I wasn't really heavily involved in the, the drafting of this version of the recommendations. Uh, I came in at the end um, and kind of caused a, a bit of a stink because... <laughs> Um, originally, everywhere else, everybody talks about target loudness. Yeah. Um, and that's a kind of a term that's been used in the industry. Everybody in the industry understands it. But because I've been getting so many people uh, over the last few years saying to me, you know, why should I master my music at minus 14 or I master my music at minus 14 and it doesn't sound good and all those kind of things, that's based on this confusion that minus 14 is a target that you have to hit. Right, the, the you know the thing we started the show with. Right. It's absolutely not. You can master your music at any level you want. Minus fourteen is the level it's going to get streamed at, or if the recommendations are followed, minus sixteen for music. My issue with with it is Disney Plus is too quiet <laughs> by a lot. I got to turn my TV up. I think thirty notches above YouTube, like some ridiculous amount for to, for any films, and then some of the that's digital, like the, you know, a lot of the other shows seem okay volume, but like definitely like one of the Marvel films, I've had it up to like my TV volume at 48 for it to, to like be roughly similar to like, I don't know, these are arbitrary numbers, but like, you know, I, I watch YouTube at a, a level of like 18 um, on my Sonos bar, sound bar. And that's, you know, right. that's loud. And so there's, there's the like 10 dB difference between the two platforms for the normalization, but it's, it's way different, I think. So this is probably off topic, but it's, it's, it, I mean, it could just be something is wrong with, with uh, Disney plus on PlayStation. Well, it's, it's interesting because you're making a great case for the recommendations, right? That's exactly why the recommendations are there because that's bugging you. And the reason it's bugging you is that YouTube is at minus 14 and Disney Plus is presumably at minus 23, which, as you say, is a 10 dB difference. So now... It, it, it feels like 30 dB difference. Like, you could barely hear it if you left the volume the same. And then, like, the games, uh, some of the games... And, and PlayStation's supposed to have pretty um, strong standardization for different games. So, like, Minecraft, you got to play it at, like, volume 6 or it's, like destroying the speaker <laughs> so it's like it's, it's just weird well, well that's see, see yeah that's interesting as well because i mean you, if you remember we did an episode didn't we on on gaming audio um and sony definitely used the minus 23 the broadcast standard as a reference for their games but many others don't so yeah i mean i i don't know whether there's a particular problem um i know that one thing for example Designers of of playback devices like that could, and some of them do, kind of deal with that in the sense that if you know that YouTube is at minus 14, but that games and some TV channels at minus 23, the device could turn that um, the YouTube down by 10 dB, right, to get them closer to each other, um, effectively nor <laughs> normalizing th those different platforms. Um to avoid the the kind of the annoyance factor. So, yeah, I think some of them do and some of them don't. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you, that's a, a great case for why recommendations like this are useful um, and important. 
yeah, getting back to, and incidentally, that's one thing I didn't mention about TD-1008, the, this new AES recommendation, is it is for audio-only content. Um, it's not for uh, video streaming, so it's not for the, the broadcast, in inverted commas, you know, Netflix um, and the uh, the other online platforms already have their own set of standards. What, what about uh, Audible or or podcast and audiobook? platforms. Well, yeah, that's another interesting question because there are different recommendations for podcasts from the different platforms. Actually, right now, I tested this just a few days ago, Spotify and Apple Music are not normalizing podcasts. So they're normalizing music, but not podcasts. So if it's it's probably because the people are using a target volume. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it's interesting because I mean, I know that. Um, so here, the BBC here in the UK and um, NPR in the US are both using around the minus eighteen level that the AES is recommending and have been for some times. I think Gimlet, who are a big kind of podcast company that is now owned by Spotify. I believe they are using minus 16, so a little bit louder. But, you know, those kind of differences are close enough that um, it's not going to be annoying, certainly. Yeah. You might have to make a small adjustment switching between them. But um, mm. having said that, I, I listened to a couple of indie podcasts that were mastered way louder. They were up at kind of minus 12 or minus 10. So I'm curious about why Spotify and iTunes are, are choosing not to normalize podcasts at the moment. I think they should. I don't see a reason why they wouldn't, you know, for all the reasons that we've been talking about. I think it's going to give a better user experience in the end. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And Audible, I somebody sent me the Audible standards a while ago, and I can't remember off the top of my head. Most companies are either suggesting minus 23 to match the, the broadcast or minus 18 to match the AES recommendations. I read some of the audiobook recommendations and they weren't even using LUFS yet. So I, I kind of just disregard it. <laughs> right. Use minus 18 LUFS and you'll be fine. I, yeah. It's if I think that, you know, we talked about this before as well. You know, LUFS is basically a somewhat more sophisticated version of RMS. Um, and most of those other guidelines, well, I say that until fairly recently, the BBC was still using peak levels to recommend loudness. So, you know, this is, this is the challenge we have. Um, and this is why recommendations and standards, you know, are valuable. So maybe we should talk about what the actual numbers are. Um, I mentioned that minus 18 used to be the kind of the, the middle of the range. Um, and there is more detail in these new recommendations. But minus 18 is still the kind of the, the most consistently recommended value. So if it's a speech only broadcast, the recommendation is minus 18 to have this stuff streamed. And if it's a mixture of speech and music and or so maybe drama or concert or that kind of stuff. They call that assorted content. And again, the, the recommendation is minus 18. Um, it's also the recommendation for interstitial content, which basically means ads, um, either, you know, kind of commercial products or for other shows, things that, especially stuff that, you know, the things that get inserted dynamically. So the the, the program makers in a podcast, say, for example, leave a point where they know there are going to be some ads, but they don't know what those ads are. Mm -hmm. um, when those ads get usually automatically inserted, they have to be automatically controlled. Um, and they also recommend minus 18 for virtual assistant audio. So, you know, the voice of Alexa, the voice of Siri, um, Cortana, is that what it's called yeah. on Windows? 
um, all those kind of things. Because, you know, you don't want a huge difference between that voice um, either blasting out or way too quiet in comparison to what you've just been listening to. So minus 18 applies to a lot of stuff. Where it gets a bit more interesting is when we get to music, and there are actually two different recommended levels here based on how the music is being normalized. So we'll get to that, but the overall level for music is minus 16, and the obvious question is why? Did you get far enough through my blog post to pick up on that, John? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to take a guess in that case? That was why Why are the recommendations different for speech and music? Yeah. I would say it's because those two different medias don't compete with each other. You don't have a podcast on the same playlist as metal songs. You listen to them at different times or, or it's different consumers entirely. That's what I would guess. Okay, that's true. Um, and yeah, I guess that, that's part of it. But it actually, it's, it's almost even more fundamental than that, um, which is that, I mean, we've talked about this before as well, just because two pieces of audio measure the same loudness using LUFS or RMS or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sound artistically right next to each other. Mm -hmm. So the, the classic example we keep giving is you don't want an acoustic ballad to be the same level as a death metal song because that doesn't make musical sense, right? An acoustic ballad should be quieter than <laughs> screaming vocals and thrashing drums and guitars. Um, same thing applies to speech and music. It turns out that if you match the measured loudness of speech and kind of a full pop or rock arrangement, the music actually sounds uh, too quiet. Or putting it around the other way, the speech sounds too loud. It turns out that the, the kind of a natural balance of speech versus music, and I actually, when I heard about this, kind of went, <laughs> I'm sad enough that I went and did some measuring of the BBC here in the UK. And sure enough, two to three dBs is about right. So if you want to get a natural sounding balance between speech and music, the music probably wants to be two to three dBs louder. And I don't know for a fact why that is, but it kind of makes sense because, you know, we know that the sound of a rock band playing or even a pop act um, or even a folk act kind of playing full tilt is louder than speech. You know, when you're, yeah. if you're in a, a bar, you have to talk loudly in order to be audible above the music if, <laughs> if that's what you want to do. So that's basically the reason. Um, research shows two to three dBs. So by making this difference in recommendation, it's a clarification of the previous version effectively. You know, before it said minus 18 plus or minus two dBs. In this case, it's saying minus 18 for speech and similar content, minus 16, which is two dBs higher for music. Yeah. So, so far, so good. The other kind of slight complication is that there is another recommendation for music, which is minus 14 LUFS, but that only applies when album normalization is being used. So you touched on it earlier on when you um, were mentioning these two methods. Do you want to kind of give us a, a summary of the difference between those two methods? Yeah, so shuffle, it's, you know, it's it's different artists, different, it could even be different genres mashed into a single playlist. And you want that to sound consistent from song to song, uh, whether it's changing styles or anything. So uh, I think you said they're they're using minus sixteen for that, and so um, mm -hmm. album normalization. It's you want the album to play as it was originally, but still consistent with if you jump to another album entirely. If you decide you don't want to listen to the album after after three songs, go to another album. The loudness should stay the same when it goes to that other album, and you don't want the 
natural dynamics or the the loud songs versus the quiet songs on that album to change balance. So the quiet acoustic song, quiet intro track to the album doesn't get normalized to the same as the full tilt metal song. So uh, that's why normal album normalization is important to have. Yeah, exactly. And luckily, it's pretty simple to do that. Um, you know, with track normalization, which is what gets used often in shuffle mode, you basically just measure the the loudness of each song and uh, match them. With album normalization, you basically just measure the loudness of the loudest song on the album, and then let's and say scale everything down. So let, I guess scale everything down and keep keep exactly and keep the same relationship between those songs. Um, and like you say, the the great thing about that is it keeps the the artistic intention of the album. Now, the interesting thing is that that is actually the recommended, the ideal method for doing loudness normalization all the time, according to this AES recommendation. And this goes back, we had a, an episode where I talked to Elko Grimm, um, who did the research for Tidal um, that is kind of behind this suggestion. And we can put the link to that in the show notes at uh, themasteringshow.com for anybody who's interested to take a listen to that. He actually found that people prefer loudness normalization to be used all the time, even when they're listening in shuffle. And I was actually part of the the testing that went into this research. I mean, they 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 analyzed four point two million albums <laughs> um, and looked at the data and the kind of the variations in loudness between them and all the rest of it um, to figure out what the what a good normalization and an effective normalization level would be. Um, Based on the results of that, they then put together two different test playlists, one of which they, they both had uh, the same music in and they chose music with big differences between the loudest and quietest material. One of them was normalised using track normalisation, one of them was normalised using album normalisation. And the the end of the long story is that 80% of people preferred the version that used album normalisation all the time, even in a playlist shuffle kind of situation. I felt the same thing when I listened to the track normalized playlist. I mean, I, I put one on, I think I, you, there was even a way of randomizing it. So I didn't know which one I was listening to, but I just kind of put it on in the background and not really be paying attention to it. And suddenly I'd think, oh, that song sounds too loud or too quiet. And it's because of the effect that we were talking about where the, the artistic intention has been messed with. A, a quiet acoustic song has been turned up to a similar level to a full pop or rock arrangement just with as with the difference between speech and music, we pick up on it as kind of feeling not quite right. Whereas when you just say, okay, here's an album, here's the loudest song, we'll turn that the whole thing down so that the loudest song is at the distribution loudness, and then you shuffle the songs up, it works much better. It's still not 100% perfect. I mean, it's worth saying, we've said it before, but we haven't said it in this episode, you know, none of this stuff is perfect. It's all evolving, it's all improving over time. But... The album normalization gives more musical sounding, more satisfying results. And of course, they're closer to the original intent of the artists and the producers and the engineers. So that's the reason that the AS are recommending that as the ideal way to normalize music, because the goal is consistency, but also preserving as much as possible the artistic intent. And when a streaming service chooses to use that method, the recommendation is that the loudest songs can then be at minus 14. And the interesting thing about that is that when you measure a stream that's normalised in that way, the natural variety between albums and between songs within an album 
means that not everything is at minus 14. So overall, you tend to get a level that's closer to minus 16. So it achieves the same end result, but it sounds more natural. It sounds more musical. Um, I'm waving my arms around a ton <laughs> trying to explain this. It's, it's a nightmare trying to explain. Why, why do we do an audio-only podcast about this stuff? Um, how did that, did that work? Did that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So as you were talking there, I've, I've just been skimming through the document. It's quite detailed. There's things about uh, like what happens if it's mono? What happens if it's sum to mono? Um, what happens if it's multi-channel? So there's, there's a ton of information in this document. Yeah, absolutely. The The original TD-1004, I think, was maybe five or six pages long. Yeah, there's 26. Exactly. Um, and yeah, there's flow diagrams and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the good news for anybody listening to this is, I mean, A, it's not for you, <laughs> as we said. Um, but B, even if you're interested in it, um, you could read the first, I don't know, four, five, six pages and get all of the important stuff for us as kind of, um, you know, music producers and, and mastering engineers um out of this the rest of it is you know gets pretty pretty nerdy pretty quickly there, but yeah, there's a there lot of already... references to various other technical documents once you get into like page 14 part f yeah <laughs> yeah ab absolutely and there's a, there's a lot of hyperlinks that go to the glossary the glossary itself is is pages long um i think that's really good it's really thorough um so you're right there's kind of detailed um discussions about what happens if stuff gets played back in mono where you have to use slightly different methods and you have to be uh, very careful, particularly if it was originally multi-channel, you know, so 5.1 or or something. Um, and I, I mean, it's it's funny because um, I just recently hosted um, a panel for, there's an upcoming AES conference on mastering, um, which is going to be in November this year. Uh, and you've got a bunch of mastering engineers uh, chatting about things that, kind of really concern them but the thing that got a round of applause was when somebody oh, i was prash mystery said can we please talk to the video producers and get them to stop monitoring our stuff before they upload it um and literally everybody <laughs> clapped because mono compatibility and and the issues of mono is still important you know i mean it's it's amazing really when you think about it you know 2021 here we are how many years is that in the recorded music industry but people listen on smartphones people listen on smart speakers um some of these are now getting multiple speakers so that the they can still reproduce stereo or even multi-channel audio um but yeah there are still plenty of situations where your music might get played back in mono so well I, i've seen know. recent uh music video uploads with a million views that it's mono it happens all the time and it's not hard i mean i have to say back in the day when i did um more dvd and blu-ray stuff you know if we had to I don't know, edit, edit some clips around or create menu assets or something, you know, you'd pull the audio into Final Cut and it would just pan the left and right channels to the center because more often than not, what's being used in video is dialogue. And more often than not, you want the dialogue in the center of the stereo image, not hard left or hard right. So it kind of makes sense. But if you miss it or you're not expecting it and, you know, picture people are focused on picture, not necessarily audio. Yeah, it's super easy for, for that to happen. So. Yeah, it happens all the time still. So, yeah, there are complicated things that happen in terms of measuring the loudness when you're dealing with mono tracks or multi-channel tracks. And, and all of that is is covered in this document as well. Yeah, I think we've probably dealt with most of the stuff. Um, you know, if you want to sum it up, we're saying the overall level is still minus 18 for speech, assorted content, drama, those kind of things. 
if it's music, then the recommended level is minus 16, and that can be achieved either with track normalization, in which case everything is at minus 16, or album normalization, in which case the loudest stuff can be at minus 14. And that still doesn't mean that we we should be aiming at any of these levels. You know, right. if you want to master something at minus four, then it will get turned down by minus 10 dB or more on the streaming services. But if you like the way that it sounds when you compare it to other similar material, that's absolutely fine. For me personally, I think if something is being turned down by 10 dBs, that seems like 10 dBs that I could make use of musically. Yeah, th- that you're basically losing 10 dB of, of peak headroom as well because your peaks yeah, get absolutely. turned down. So, yeah. I mean, you, you could technically have something that's that's at minus 16 but still peaks at, at 1 and doesn't get turned down at all. And that's why I think all of this stuff is a good thing. And that's why I wanted to do this episode to try and improve the awareness of what these standards mean. You know, yeah. it's not Big Brother saying you should do this. Um, it's actually, like, as I say, if, if the streaming services follow these recommendations, it gives us more freedom to do what we want. You can make your music super loud if you want, or you can master it with more dynamics if you want, and you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, what's going to happen. The, you know, the great thing about album normalization is that if there's an album where everything is super loud and album normalization is used, then most of the songs will get played close to minus 14, which is the loudest level. So mission accomplished, right? It's it's as loud as it can be without annoying people. Yeah. Um, and if you want to master your stuff with far more dynamics, you don't have to worry about extra limiting. You don't have to worry about it not competing with anything else. I guess, well, there's one other point which we should kind of revisit, which is that most of the streaming services are not turning up quieter songs. Yeah. Um, Spotify still do um, by default, but they, because they're not using a limiter anymore, if the music is peaking up at close to zero, then they, they can't turn stuff up anymore. So yeah. if you guys listening to this haven't heard the other episodes, we I mean, how many episodes have we done on, on loudest normalization and... Uh, all of them. All the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, most 78. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Why are you guys still listening? Um, it, it's worth saying, yes, if you if you choose to master at, say, minus 18, and, the, and it's peaking up at minus 1, um, but it goes to a streaming service that is using minus 14, say, that minus 18 is not going to get turned up, so it will always sound a bit quieter. And, and that's not necessarily a problem. You know, if it's an acoustic ballad or if it's a bit of classical music or could could be anything, it's absolutely possible that you want it to be a little bit softer and that it sounds musically correct. But that's why the moral of all of this is to test. When you understand this stuff, then you can predict what is going to happen when I upload my music. You can test it, you can preview it, and you can check that you're happy with the results. And if you are, then you're good to go. And if not, then you can you know figure out what needs to be done to to change it so that you are happy. So it's a, it's definitely a kind of knowledge is power kind of situation. Let's keep with tradition. Let's not have an episode where we don't plug <laughs> the loudness penalty site, which um, will tell you what is currently happening. Um, you can drag any file onto a browser. It won't get uploaded. The site will tell you how the gain is going to be adjusted on all of the popular streaming services. And if, when some of these services start following the AS recommendations, we will update the site to make sure that um, it stays in line with that. Um, It now correctly tracks all of the latest changes that have been happening at Spotify since the beginning of this year. And we're going to keep uh, updating it to keep it 
current. Um, so that could be a, a tool that's useful for people. Have we covered it? Do you think there's anything else we need to go into? Definitely not. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we're done with that one. I agree. Okay, and we'll, we'll see if we can make the next episode about something that isn't about loudness. Thank you, John, as always, um, for helping figure our way through this stuff and for mixing the episode, as always. Yeah, my pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode and found it useful or interesting, please share it with your friends. Please head over to themasteringshow.com forward slash review and give us a five-star rating so that other people can also find the show and end up thinking, why am I listening to people talking about loudness again as well? (laughs) Because that's what we want for everybody. Uh, Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. And thanks for listening.